Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Carl Hughes is the founder of Draft.dev, where they create technical marketing content for companies. Within two years, they've hit 250,000 monthly revenue consistently with 15 full-time employees, 200 contract writers, and over 90 clients. They run their company in a rather unique way. They don't use Slack or other real-time communication tools. They are all remote and 90% asynchronous, meaning work can be done on employees' schedule and preferred time. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Have you been wanting to launch your podcast and just haven't found the right resources? I launched Master Leadership Podcast in 2016, and it now ranks in top 1% globally. I've gathered all I've learned and created Master Your Podcast in a Weekend course on Master Your Swag app so that you have everything you need to share your voice with the world. Minus those excuses. So download Master Your Swag app on Google or Apple platforms to access the Master Your Podcast course and launch your podcast this weekend. Welcome, Carl Hughes. How are you? Great. I am so excited to be here, Lily. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. All right. So, um, Carl, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Yeah. How far back do you want me to go? No, um, I have, <laughs> I for the last 10 years have been a software engineer, engineering manager, and then CTO most recently at venture funded startups. So went kind of the whole stack from like doing all the code work myself to hiring developers, to leading the whole product development kind of roadmap for a company. Uh, and then two years ago, I took a big career turn and I started my own business doing essentially technical writing for marketing purposes, but we're called draft.dev. And now I have a team of about 16 full-time people and 200 contractors around the world that work with us. And we create hundreds of pieces of content every month for clients, primarily developer tools companies. So this is like deep tech stuff that you would probably never heard of, but it's a super interesting space, super niche. And we've done a really good job growing in the last couple of years. Super interesting draft.dev. So who is your client? Yeah. So primary clients are companies that want to reach software developers with content. And so usually what that looks like is a company that builds like a software testing tool or some kind of hosting platform that wants to work well with different software developers. The challenge for marketing to developers is that 
They are a group that heavily uses ad blockers. They don't love to be reached out to cold. They're kind of not necessarily known to be people people. And so the strategy that typically works best is write really helpful content or create really helpful videos or go to conferences and create helpful resources for developers and then share it out with the audience and get them to share it among each other. And so that's what we do for our clients. We end up bringing in, we have a you know two or 300 software engineers that are contractors that write for us. And then we have a whole team of editors and tech reviewers in-house that make sure their content is high quality, meets standards. And then we get that out to the clients that need it. So it's a really unique take on kind of a blend of content marketing and technical software development and writing. And so how long have you been doing this? So I started it two years ago now, all bootstrapped. So it's gone from, you know, just me doing literally everything myself to now having a whole team of salespeople and editors and marketers and everybody uh, working with us. You know, that's pretty impressive because it is a tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're my people. So it's the advantage I had. You know, I was a developer for enough years that I kind of know how they think. And that always makes starting a business in the space easier. So the best way to connect with you is Carl, K-A-R-L at draft.dev. If you you know want to email and follow up there. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, Carl, as a lifelong learner, what are you learning right now? A few things. The biggest one, though, uh, most interesting to talk about, I'm learning how to buy another business. So my kind of history with entrepreneurship is pretty long. I started a little website in college and kind of tried to pitch it at business competitions, never went anywhere. I joined two companies as the first employee after that. So that was a really fun experience to get to see from the ground up. And then I started this company two years ago, but I've never personally, you know, kind of until recently started to look into what does it take to actually buy another existing business and go into that team and start to learn from them and learn this whole new world. And so that has been a really big experience. And I could talk about all sorts of little things I've learned along the way, because it's totally different from running and starting your own thing from scratch. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, did you just think, okay, this is a challenge for me. Let me go and buy a business and then do research or. I, yeah. I hate to say it, but I am really driven by learning and just new experiences. This is kind of what draws me to entrepreneurship is no two days are the same. What we do at draft.dev is really interesting and fun, but now I've gotten to a point where most of the day-to-day -day work is done by the team. And so strategically, like my role is not super involved. Like I'm not spending tons and tons of hours in there solving every client problem. And so a little bit of it was like, what do I want to do with myself? And a little of it was, are there other interesting opportunities to learn? And one of the biggest things that I realized that people who grow bigger and bigger companies have to learn at some point is acquisition. Like how do you buy another company and integrate it in or cross sell between two different audiences? And so that's kind of what I'm working on now. And that was kind of some of the reason for going into it, as well as just the opportunity to grow more quickly too, just from a practical standpoint and a growth standpoint. It opens up a lot of doors that you don't get if you're purely growing from your own internal funds and your existing clients. You know, you've done something that a lot of CEOs, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of leaders look to do. It's one, to grow a company so quickly. And the other one is to also grow their people to a point where, you know, you can delegate and trust so that you can go ahead and do other things and bigger things. Tell us about that. Give us some tips on how to really- How do you do that? How do you let go? You yeah. that? Yes. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, like, seriously, like I know dozens of entrepreneurs that I talk to regularly. One of the biggest things they struggle with is letting go of some of the things they know they're 
20 to 100% better at than anybody else. And I feel that way in some ways about technical content. But I read a book several years ago called The Decision Maker when I first started managing. It's a really simple little parable kind of book where it tells a story about a manager learning to delegate. And one of the big takeaways in that book is as a manager, if you want your team to become more self-sufficient, to be better, to grow, and for the top people to stick around, you as the manager should stop making more of the decisions and you should start pushing more of those decisions down to the people closest to the problems. And what this forces you to do as a manager is give the team the constraints that you have. You know, they don't understand maybe in their day-to-day the budget and the way that, you know, you have to sell things up the chain and all this stuff that middle management deals with, but tell them about that. Tell them, these are the constraints we're working with. You tell me, what do you think we should do? And having that practice as like a literally a daily practice, a daily thing I think about even now, it has helped so much loosen up the ties that used to tie me to the day-to-day in the early days. And so when my director of operations comes to me and says, hey, I'm having this issue with this employee, what do you think I should do? I say, what do you think you should do? And like, what can I give you? Is there more information I can give you that would help you make that decision? Not here's what I think you should do, because that's just the shortcut that lets them kind of off the hook for answering their own questions and makes them more reliant on me. The other thing I do is I take breaks. So I took two weeks off at the end of last year and I shut down email, didn't answer anybody's questions and just saw what happened. This year, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be having a baby, so I'm going to shut off the email, and for a month, I'm not going to be answering any questions, and that's just a really good practice. I tell everybody on our team, you should be able to take a month off, and nobody suffers, and that means you're going to need to get your whole team up to speed, but you do. You need to have backups for everything. I love that. Now, as far as taking breaks, especially as leaders, entrepreneurs, do you have anything in place for the day-to-day? Because I know for me, I can hyper-focus. And when I do that and I'm not consciously taking a break, I just am depleted. Yeah, I take the stance of every day, there's certain things I have to do to maximize my long-term energy. And that's kind of the thing I've realized that a lot of successful people do and I am striving to do is maximize for long-term energy. And long-term energy doesn't mean working 12 hours straight without a break. It doesn't mean skipping sleep to go answer more emails. Like long-term energy is doing all the little things every day you have to do to keep your body and mind healthy for the long-term. So eating right, working out every day. And that means I give up work time. I basically lose clients because I don't want to work 20 hour days. (laughs) Like that's, especially in the early days when I was very involved in everything. And that has to be a conscious decision that I think I'm willing to make, but you as an entrepreneur have to like be willing to make that long-term versus short-term decision. Humans are just bad at long-term thinking. So they look at entrepreneurship as this really risky thing, like they might lose everything. But in reality, in the long-term, almost everybody who starts a business comes out better in the long run. Even if their business fails, they almost always learn skills that take them into the next career or help them start the next one better. So if you shift your thinking away from the short-term fear and towards the long-term benefits, almost every decision becomes really easy. That decision to eat a salad instead of eating the Big Mac, the decision to like go run instead of answering emails, like all those start to get clarified when you ask what matters in six years or 10 years and not what matters in 30 minutes. Yeah. And that consistency and discipline is super important. And that holistic thinking too, right? It's not just taking a break, but it's also taking care of your body. It's taking care of your mind. Um, and those around yeah. you. So it's bigger than that. So thank and, you. Yeah. And the stuff's not easy either. Like I say all this, like, oh yeah, no big deal. Just check off the list. Like that's every day, you know, like I, I screw it up all the Go time. Carl. I have a, a personal coach. I have like a whole team of people that I'm accountable to. So like, 
it's not easy. It takes time. It's just every day, a little bit of focus, a little bit of better on it. And, you know, yeah. you get there eventually, I guess. <laughs> and then you have a three-year-old and you have one on the way and nobody primes your leadership more than your children. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nobody tests your patience like your children. <laughs> That's right. They help us grow. All right. So Carl, when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? You know, the biggest things that concern me in like seeing other leaders, this is kind of like the short-term thinking, but like the loss of attention span, maybe, and like real human contact that I sometimes see. I'll just kind of give some tangible examples here. Like I talked to a business leader recently who just hates meeting with his employees. And he's like, they don't need to see me. They don't need to talk to me. You know, I don't need to talk to them. Like they, it can all be emails, you know? And I'm like, well, sure. But at the end of the day, like you get more out of people when you have a real human relationship. And it, maybe we don't meet in person all the time, but you can at least have a you know one-on-one -on -one Zoom call every now and then. It isn't about the efficiency of your time use from just a pure productivity standpoint. It's does one hour of my time make this person more productive in the long, long term? That's to me the trade-off that kind of like worries me. And some of that's due to just like more interactions going online, more remote work. I'm not against all that. Like we're all remote company. We're mostly asynchronous. I think that's all good. But I think also building in time to meet with people and have real human interactions is still very important. And you're all about like people's long-term mental health as well as your own. So Absolutely. that's maybe one thing that I notice. Yeah. Even here, right? This is a podcast. We don't have to do a video. I choose to do it. You choose to do it because there's that human connection. There's totally. Yeah. Like there's nothing like, I mean, except, you know, if, we, if we're meeting in person, then that's right. Different, right. But to see your eyes, to see your expressions, to see your smile, that's all about human connection and that up levels us. So the conversation's better. It's, you know, it's more robust. It's more connected. And so I am absolutely yep. with you. Okay. So what are you hopeful about? I work with a lot of people who are first-time leaders, like a lot of small companies that grow quickly. I brought my first managers up from within. So they kind of came from like, they've been individual contributors and freelancers have been great. And then they said, I want to step up and be a leader and we need somebody for that role. Let me do it. And it's so encouraging to see people who are new leaders, just like soaking in the knowledge and trying to like asking good questions, going to their peers and getting creative. And then an experience the other day where somebody was one of my new managers talking to me and they were like, I was talking to my mentor the other day and I was like, you just went out and found a mentor. Like, I didn't tell you to do that. I didn't like go introduce you to me. You just did that. Like, good for you. That's like that A plus effort. I think there's lots of people like that. I love that opportunity to take somebody who's been really strong as an individual and help them grow into a leader because it's a very different job and there's a journey to get there and it's not overnight and it's way harder than it looks. But like, it's so rewarding to see somebody step up into that. You know, it's beautiful to see those soft skills develop. Yeah, <laughs> because, absolutely. Especially in the tech world. Um, you, you, know, <laughs> you see it, you're very connected. You have a high EQ level. It's clear. And so to be able to radiate that, because I'm sure that employee watched you. You have a mentor. I, I, totally. And this is one of the things about being a CEO that scares me, but also is exciting is that everything I do is amplified down into everybody else. Even though I'm not like their direct boss, even if I don't say it explicitly, I have a practice of sending intentional gratitude to somebody on the team every week. Just think of something good that somebody did. 
go send an email. It's like, takes five minutes. It's so easy, but it set this culture in motion where now other people are doing it. I never said explicitly, this is what you got to do. This is a checklist item, but you set so much of the culture when you're a leader. And it's really important to just be mindful of everything that I say and I do, because it's going to get interpreted and seen and be very careful about the bad, but also really emphasize the positives. I'm really glad you said that because in the same vein, leaders who don't deal with themselves, leaders who aren't self-aware and don't deal with their shit because I've got it. It gets magnified and it's very destructive and it's very toxic and they don't even see it. And so those are the reasons why I love having these conversations because we were there at one time. I'm sure oh, I'm still there. No, I'm still there. Yeah. Like, like I, I say all these things, like I've learned a lot, but I'm by no means like the, you know, the pinnacle, like there's a long way to go. Just the other day had like a, a down day where I just, for whatever reason, didn't have the energy, didn't, wasn't feeling things. I was feeling negative about the possibilities in the future. And uh, somebody on my team kind of called me on. They're like, you're impatient with people. You're short with people. What are you doing? What's going on? And it was so great because that. it's like, Yeah. I mean, like, I'm glad we have the culture we can do that, but also it made me realize like, I obviously don't have it all together yet. Like I'm still developing and still learning those like imperfections. It's not that you can get away from that completely, but I need to be aware of those situations when I'm not in my top form. (laughs) Carl, I, I do want to say that you've put that in place. You put that culture in place because the people that you lead are able to approach you and say that to you, which is wonderful. Another thing I want to say is that humility is very connected to wisdom. And I, I see your wisdom and I also see your humility. It's tough to be humble. It's not easy, but if we want to grow in our wisdom, we've got to stay close to that. And so I, I want to honor you because that is coming through clearly. That's very nice of you to say. I actually think about this a lot. Again, this is one of the conversations I just recently had with my coach was balancing humility and confidence because it's advantageous to show other people that you do know what you're talking about. Like, obviously, I think I know some things, you know, I figured some things about business out, some things about tech out. But at the same time, I am a humble person. I think it helps me connect to people because I do have weaknesses. I'm willing to share them. But constantly trying to find the right balance of that, I struggle with. I'm still like specifically had this group of older entrepreneurs and I was just kind of being overly humble around them because I didn't want to come off as the cocky young kid. But there's some things I do better than some of these guys. There's an openness I'm trying to develop around that where I need to just kind of put it out there. Like, look, you're struggling with some things. I kind of know what this is. You know, maybe there's some way I can help. Yeah, it is certainly a balance. It's that harmony. Right, right. right. All right. So here's a surprise question from one of our former guests. Andrew Heaton wants to know, how do you juggle work ethic and ambition with enjoying life and balancing your social life? That's the whole game. He just asked me how to explain life. That's so hard. An easy question. That's a good one. That is a good one. Okay. So I'm an engineer. So I have some systems for things. There's a few things I do that's like very important to me. One is I time box work regardless of the week. I kind of have hours that I work and I don't generally go outside of those hours and go check emails or go do projects. So I, I just work within those. I track my time at work and that helps me understand if I'm wasting time or spending time on things that don't need to be done by me or can be you know delegated or, or just stop doing entirely. That's really important to control my time. Like that feels like a big part of this. I have ambitious goals that are long-term, but they all rely on 
long-term sustainable health. And that means spending time with friends and family. It means working on my own self-discipline and like working out and staying physically and mentally healthy. So all these things are connected. I think the misnomer, and maybe this is true if you have a regular job, but if you're an entrepreneur, there is no work-life balance. It's just like all of its life. And so I definitely don't have a perfect thing. I do another thing too that I just picked up from a comedian named Martin Short, you know, on Saturday Night Live. I'm yes. sure plenty of people know him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wrote a book and he mentioned these like nine categories that he rates his own life on every single week. So I took that practice from him and every week I go rate how am I doing with my original family, with my friends, with my wife and kids, my family now, my health. So it's great though, because I get this like, almost like this real-time graph of how I'm feeling about all these different areas of my life. And if one is down, I intentionally try to work on it in the upcoming month. I, I say, okay, I have not talked to my parents in three weeks. Like this is kind of, that's down, you know, like I need to, I need to get that up and you go visit them or go talk to them, do something that. with them. So that's one way to, again, I'm a, I'm a nerd. So I love data and tracking. And I know that that isn't the way everybody operates, but for me, that helps me like quantify how in balance I feel. Now, do you remember the name of the book? No, you'll have to look up my Martin Short's book. Okay. Where, and I didn't even read the book. I just heard him on a podcast talking about his system and I stole it from that. So I got to okay. say, like, it, I'm sure the book is funny and great. What strikes me, though, about a lot of people who are really successful, when you hear them later in life or even at their peak, they don't talk about how they gave up everything for work. A lot of times they talk about how the importance, the balance was that they struck. I think it's a common, maybe misrepresentation of successful people that they just drop family and friends and they only focus on work. That sort of view of success gets too much attention. I think it's more rare. I think most successful people are very balanced and like intentionally work at things like their own personal development. And they're not hard driver working 20 hour day type people. And they're typically not overnight successes. Absolutely. They're consistent. It's all consistency. Yeah, yeah. They picked up a lot of good practices and they learn quickly and they consistently do that over many, many years. I mean, people look at draft.dev and say, okay, you grew this company with 90 clients in two years. That seems like a lot. And you're doing this like really hard thing. How's that happen? I was like, yeah, I worked for a software engineer and CTO for 12 years before this. Like, Okay. It wasn't overnight. I tried 12 different side projects during that period that never panned out. And so Failed, like- you got up again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I finally got a lucky hit in a way and I was prepared to take on to it, so. Yeah, you were ready. Yeah. All right. So Carl, as a listener of this podcast, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious about? I love hearing people's answers to the question of like, what's your purpose in life or what's the point of your life? And I don't mean the broad, the human point of life, but what do you think is your purpose personally? Or what do I think is my purpose personally? I don't have a great answer for that question. That's why I ask it because I don't think there is a perfect answer. I think it probably has shifted for me and for everybody throughout their life. But what I think it says, it sort of makes people go into that big picture thinking and like they put themselves in terms of like relative to like what they're doing. Because so many people get stuck in the day to day. Like, what do you do right now? What's your family like right now? What house did you just buy? Like, I don't really care about any of that. That's like small stuff. So what's your purpose? What are you doing? Why are you here? Where are you going? That's a big, beautiful question. How would you respond to that? So right now, I you know, again, this is one of those things working with a coach, he forces me to make big goals and to kind of push those out there, even if I'm uncomfortable with them. So right now, 
I, I kind of have some business and personal purposes. Obviously, like my personal purpose is to be a great father who's present and able to be at all the major events for my kids. So never sacrifice those just for work or whatever. The business side, I'm working on over the next 10 years, building a portfolio of small niche service businesses that I can find CEOs and people to run them and help operate and make better. It's a big vision. It's going to take a long time and I'm going to have to do a lot of things I don't know how to do, but it's going to be really fun. Love it. All right. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? So leadership is to me, like what I like about this podcast and, and you do a good job with this and these questions, but also in other, other episodes I've heard leadership is a long-term journey that never really ends. And there's no like one course or one like single thing that turns the key for you. And so in a way it's like, don't be afraid to say yes to taking on a leadership role just to see what it's like. And when it hurts, because it inevitably the first time will scare you and be so hard, you just lean into that. There's a book called The Obstacle is the Way that I'm sure a lot of people who are in this sort of self-advancement kind of stuff would love. But the idea is like, when you see the challenge, that's the way to go. It's don't run away from that challenge. Don't avoid the pain. Just lean into it. My wife just went through this recently. She, a year ago, joined as a new company as a manager. She'd never been a manager, always been an individual contributor. And it was so painful the first nine months or so of that. And just seeing that reminded me, oh yeah, it was really painful when I did this too the first time. But she's now leaned through that. And she's in that point where this is her. She embraces it. And she's like, she's a leader for life. And so I think that's one thing to, to not be afraid of is like uh, just leaning into the fear that you have around leadership and just going for it anyway and fighting through those first six to 12 months. And in leaning in, how important is it to have a coach, an inner circle, a mentor? For me, it's huge personally. I don't know how people do it without. I've always done things like cultivating groups of mentors and peers both. And then only recently started working with a coach. And that's been amazing. I, in the past, gone through things like everything from therapy to psychiatry and now into coaching. And like, I was kind of always looking for what's the path for me. I feel like coaching is really where I'm at right now. This is the most helpful thing to me. Everybody gets, you know, something different from coaching or therapy or whatever. But to me, it's not one or the other. It's all these things help. I have a really great peer group. I'm a couple great peer groups. I'm part of a business owners and this coach that works with me on the executive and personal things. And then I have friends who are more just like, you know, casual. We don't have to talk about work type people. And so all those things are just an important piece of the encouragement I need to keep myself going on a regular basis. Love it. Carl, I really want to thank you for adding value to me and to our listeners. I love this conversation. It was great getting to know you. Oh, you as well, Lily. So great. And keep it up with the podcast. I love hearing these kind of things because leadership is such a big topic and it just needs to be all those fears and ups and downs need to be talked about. Yes, my friend. Yes. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.